Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to finish with Genesis chapter 8. I call it the comfort. Recall we were talking about this passage where Noah sent out from the ark a raven and a dove. Well, the raven didn't come back, was never seen again. The dove came back the first time, and the second time a week later was sent out and brought back with her a uh, olive leaf. And the third time went out a week later and didn't come back. Now, the interesting thing is, I propose that this section, this passage of Scripture, is actually quite prophetic and targeting, if you would, the Jewish people, and I'll explain. Here we go. Returning to our passage, the first time the dove left the ark would speak to the first time the judgments of God came upon Israel, and his children were scattered, or as with Noah's dove, sent out over the sea. You see, the in the Bible, the sea is a picture of the Gentile nations. This was when the Assyrians and then the Babylonians crushed the northern and southern kingdoms. Now, the word confirms this in a prophecy from Deuteronomy. It says, You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and multiply you, so the Lord will be cheerful over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked off from the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood or stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, a failing one, literally dove-like, eyes and anguish of soul. That's all from Deuteronomy 28, 62-65. So that's the first time. The second time the dove left the ark is then representative of the second time the judgments of God came upon Israel when she rejected her own Messiah, the gracious new covenant of his atoning blood. This time, the Roman legions under Titus destroyed the nation, and again the Jews were scattered into the Gentile nations. This is reminiscent of when the psalmist wrote, My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. All of that is from Psalms 55. But a second time the dove came back to her window, and with this returned to the ark, that is, symbolically the Lord, she brought an olive leaf, freshly plucked, which is miraculous, 
For normally, an olive tree is not going to live nearly 200 days underwater and then spring forth leaves. That means this new life was miraculous. It was the Lord's work. Quote, It shall come to pass in that day the Lord shall set his hand again the second time. This was spoken of by Isaiah before the first dispersion of Jews. To recover the remnant of his people who are left and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That's from Isaiah 11. Now, the olive leaf or branch is a universal sign for peace, but in Scripture, the olive tree pictures specifically the born-again believers, Jewish and Gentile. Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 11, where he writes to the Gentile believers, quote, If some of the branches, that is, the Jews, were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. That's from Romans chapter 11. This second return of the dove, therefore, is not just representative of the return of the nation to the physical land, but more importantly, of the return of the children of Most High to the faith of their fathers and belief in Christ. There is coming a miraculous new birth, new life, and they will make peace with God. See Isaiah chapter 40. The olive tree was also used to produce anointing oil, universally accepted as the type of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. This is appropriate, for in these last days the returning spiritual Israel will be anointed. Quote, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, that is, all the Jews, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maidservants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. And the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, on the remnant whom the Lord calls. Joel chapter 2. And a third time the dove was sent out, but she didn't return. Why? For this picture, we need to turn to the book of Revelation and look at a couple of chapters. In chapter 7, we see that during the Great Tribulation, there will be a commissioning, if you would, of 144,000 Jewish evangelists. These people, newly born again in Christ, sealed, if you would, under the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit, will go forth with the gospel 
And immediately following this anointing in Revelation, we read that heaven is filled with multitude more believers that have specifically come out of the Great Tribulation. So I'll suggest that the reason the dove does not return to the ark the third time may be because these guys, 144,000, won't return to Israel. They will go to heaven. All of them will be faithful to the end, evidently being martyred for the faith. We gather this, for we see them all, 144,000, not 143,999. All of them gathered together around the Lamb in chapter 14. In Psalms, David prophesied, quote, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Well, yeah, see Revelation 7. You will be like the wings of a dove, covered with silver, the medal of redemption, and her feathers with yellow gold, symbolic of faith. That's in Psalm 68. So this passage in Genesis is hugely important and packed full of meaning. Though the Jewish people will mistakenly put their confidence, at least initially, in the raven, the Antichrist, they will find themselves like the dove returning to the presence of the Lord, and then under his anointing, empowered by the Holy Spirit, fulfilling their original commission to spread the gospel all over the earth. Genesis goes on, And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. 370 days had passed since they entered the ark. I find it fascinating that God only spoke to Noah twice. First when he said to come into the ark and then at this point where he said to go out of the ark the whole time in the ark, the whole 370 days during the flood, there was no speaking, at least none that's recorded, and we don't find Noah complaining to the Lord about it. If it were me, I'd have been seeking some new divine revelation each and every day. Oh, Lord, please show me just how many more days. Tell me how to get out of this ark. When does the door open? Yep, yep, yep. Noah, on the other hand, was indeed a man of faith. He lived out his name. He knew how to rest in the Lord, in his confidence in the Lord. Today, you know, we've revved up the pace of life and our selfish expectations of him to the point that a few hours or a few days of the flood, we freak. But this passage teaches me that it is specifically during the times of tribulation that we need I need to be quiet and trust my Father in heaven. I need to listen for his voice more than ever. So many times 
I've heard the question or wondered it myself. How do I really know that God loves me? Why doesn't he tell me? Why doesn't he show me again and again and again? I think his gentle reply is that he proved his love once and forever by providing the ark, that is, Jesus, and calling us into it or into him. He made a way out of the old world and into the new, the cross of Calvary. How could he ever top that? He gave his all there. And that should be always the thing that keeps us trusting and loving him in response. Now, graciously, God does speak to us, and he often nudges us by his Spirit through his word. With long-suffering and kindness, he gloriously redemonstrates for us his never-ending devotion, but forever the ultimate expression of his love remains Jesus Christ. Genesis goes on. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offering on the altar, and the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. We should note here in closing that worship, just like Noah's, was a response to God's work. We don't see the altar until after the flood, after the door was opened on a new world, and Noah's response was perfect. It was an acceptable sacrifice with a sweet smell. What was it like presenting the Lord a barbecue or a banquet of sweet-smelling flowers? No, I don't think so. Although the Lord later specifically required some sacrifices in the Mosaic Law, he also later said that, through the prophets, that he detests sacrifices. You see, the act itself is symbolic, and for it to be acceptable, just as with Abel, it must be mixed with faith, with the right heart attitude. There must be an understanding that the consequences of sin is death. Sacrifice makes that poignantly apparent. Sacrifice that is acceptable also involves a giving of something costly. And in the expression of both of these things, the heart must say to God with all sincerity, I love you and I trust you. I believe. Worship is always, always a response to God. Never is it to be a routine before God. It is this heart attitude itself which is, in fact, the sweet-smelling aroma. Our lives as believers should have this aroma on a daily basis, not because we each have a Montana cattle ranch or a country club membership to prove it. Rather, we ourselves, our lives, our hearts, should carry the sweet aroma of acceptable sacrifice. We are intended to know deep within that sin means death, that love means responding in giving and trusting. Quote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, that is, response. See Romans 12.1. 
When the church in Philippi gave in love to help the Apostle Paul, he wrote, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. It's the fragrance of our heart that God senses, which is important, the fragrance of love. That's why Noah's sacrifice was pleasing to the Lord, because it spoke of the perfect sacrifice of his perfect Son, who in perfect love and obedience laid down his own life. Thus, we are instructed that the proper response to God is to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Ephesians 5.2 Then God responded to Noah's response. He gave a beautiful promise. We call it the Noahic Covenant, wrapped in a rainbow. Glorious response to a beautiful response, to a joyful response, to a trusting response, to a, well, you know, that's what God delights in. It's love. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.